Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Josh McCabe here, and welcome to the Overflow Beyond the Music Podcast. So glad that you're with us. This episode today is part two of what is a part uh, two-part series on the issue of mental health. And um, I'm really excited about the guests we have on today, not only because they're both uh, very accomplished musicians and have a lot of great things to say, but because they're so vulnerable about their journey. And today on the podcast, we've got Darren Mulligan of We Are Messengers, and we've also got Brian Johnson of Bethel Music. And what an incredible uh, conversation I have with both of those guys and cannot wait to dive into those on this episode. But hey, if you're listening to us for the very first time, I want to thank you for checking out this podcast. We have several other episodes available, including part one of this series on the subject of mental health. So make sure that you go check that out and make sure you do this because this is really important for this podcast. It's really important for us as we seek to grow and get on more guests and reach more people. But make sure wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it be Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, uh, or, or any other streaming platform for podcasts, make sure you go subscribe. And if you can, leave a comment or like it or, or whatever that looks like. That really helps us out. I'll make sure that you are fully connected when we have another podcast episode coming out and make sure that you're completely in the loop with us. The other way to stay in the loop with us is you can give us a follow on Instagram. That's one of the main platforms that we use. Uh, so you give us a follow at the Overflow BTM. That's at the Overflow BTM. And you can find out everything that's coming up on the podcast, find out who's going to be joining us, and find out when new episodes get released. So make sure you go give us a follow. Drop us a comment, drop us a like, and we'll make sure that we try and comment back and say hello to all of you on the Instagram platform. One of the reasons I've been so excited about this particular episode is because it's something that really hits home for me personally. And you may have been listening to a few of these podcast episodes and you're not really sure who I am or what my story is, but I figured that this was probably as good of time as any for me to share a little bit about my own personal journey. My name is Josh McCabe and uh, I'm the singer and, and front person of a band called Caves. But that's just a really small part of, of my life and my journey. I was a pastor for about 10 years and uh, primarily worked in the area of young adults and worship. And man, I got to see God do some incredible things in those seasons. And, and there's a lot of times that I kind of miss some of that uh, being in the church and working in the church day in and day out and being part of Sunday services week in and week out and journeying with people. But for whatever reason, God has called me to a different season right now, and that's to focus on my music project, Caves. But to understand why I called the band Caves and not just Josh McCabe, the artist, or some other name, you have to understand a little bit about my journey. When I was about 23 years old, I was newly married, and uh, we had our, our first child, Adelaide, and um, we got pregnant super quick after getting married, and it was just a complete whirlwind that I was experiencing. One of the other things that was going on at the time was we were seeing a complete, um, I don't want to use this term uh, in the wrong sense, but it almost felt like a mini revival going on in our young adults ministry. It was beginning to grow and explode at a, a really quick pace. I was really young, extremely inexperienced, uh, but God was really moving. And and here I am at you know, 22, 23, not a clue what I'm doing, not even sure how to wrap my head around how to grow this ministry further. But but beyond that, I think I felt this unhealthy pressure 
that it all relied on me. And and I had this really unhealthy drive. I, I think it's really healthy to have a good drive, to be hardworking, to be passionate, uh, to be dedicated, to be determined. Uh, but mine was really, really unhealthy to the point that I began to sacrifice uh, a lot of things in my life, relationships, my own health, and uh, things began to spiral out of control. I was uh, battling some really unhealthy patterns in my life, and it was a way of coping with the stress I was feeling, and uh, I, I literally had a complete breakdown. I had a complete burnout, and I just had to up and leave ministry altogether for a season. And it was something that, that I knew I needed to take some time back, but I think I had some people around me that, that felt it needed to be a bit longer. And that, that part of the journey was, was difficult, to be really honest with you, because I wasn't really sure how to accept help uh, or even whether the help was really in my best interest or, or whatever. Maybe it's mistrust. I don't know. But I began to realize as I unpacked in that year away from ministry, as I took a year off, that... Uh, I, there was something else going on. It was not only that I, I had some unhealthy patterns in my life and some unhealthy character issues I need to deal with, but there was also a heavy, heavy depression aspect going on. And um, really when I began to explore that, I began to realize how much it was affecting my decisions and how much it, it was not helping me to move forward. And since taking that year off, I'd love to tell you that everything in my life got better after taking a year off. I mean, I got counseling, I went and saw doctors, I got on some medication, and I got some mentors around me. And I'd love to tell you that I did all the right things and, and everything worked out perfectly. But that's really not the case because it's been a journey for me to consistently move forward in it. Since then, uh, I went for some more tests and some more... Uh, procedures is probably the wrong word, but some more evaluations and actually discovered that not only uh, was I battling depression and not only have I been battling depression, but I've, uh, I struggle with something called ADHD. And the best way I can, I can describe it is that my, my brain fires impulses quicker than I can reason with them. And it causes a lot of, um, a lot of issues for me. And since getting help in that area and on the proper medication, I've been able to actually function at a way higher capacity and, and minimize uh, some of the extreme highs and extreme lows that I was experiencing. Now, I'm not saying medication is the one-stop shop for everybody. It's not always the case. But for me, in this aspect, in this season, it worked. And I'm telling you, it's why I have a heart for a subject like this, because I I didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't know how to deal with it. I I felt weak. I felt ostracized. I felt cast aside. Um, I felt all of these things. And, you know, it's really easy for us to, to say, yeah, well, those are those people, those people. And then there's those people who lead worship and those people who are musicians and those people who are successful in ministry. And, and they're different. But I, want to, I wanted to do this podcast. I wanted you to know that we're not all that different. We're going through some stuff as well. And, and really the hope is that you would be able to find a little bit of hope in our journey, that you'd be able to find a little bit of yourself in our journey, and that this would ultimately encourage you. As a result of a lot of this journey, um, Caves talks about a season that I walked through for a year of uh, be- being outside of ministry, outside the public eye, but really in this, what I call the cave season, this dark, lonely cave season in which God really showed up in a profound way and laid these songs in my heart. And um, 
I've never really done this on this podcast, but as we get ready to transition to our first guest, I'd love to play you one of the songs uh, that came out of this journey, that came out of this season uh, for Caves. And um, it really tells the story of of my journey in, in, in a way that I'm really not sure I could put into better words. And a friend of mine wrote it, and, and when, when he sent me the demo, it just said everything that I needed to say. And um, if you're wondering who the, the other voice is on it, it's Amanda Cook from Bethel Music. She sings harmonies on this and, and sings a second verse with us. But I'd love you to have a listen to this as we get ready to head into the interview portion of this uh, particular podcast. This is part two of our series on mental health. And um, this is My God by Caves. I am a canyon waiting My soul is dry ground And underneath is breaking My God Haven't let you rain Trade for my love. Haven't let you rain for. Haven't let you rain for down. had the chance to catch up with somebody else who has never really been afraid to share their story or to share the ups and downs of, of life, uh, both as an artist and before being an artist. And um, I'm not going to lie, I am really excited to talk with this gentleman today, not only because uh, he's an open book, but because he has such a, an amazing accent. <laughs> so we are on the line here with Darren from We Are Messengers. Darren, how are you doing, man? I'm Griff. I'm Griff. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I really appreciate it, man. You're you're out on tour right now with Toby Mac, I understand. Is that correct? Yeah, we're we're doing uh Toby's headstate tour thing in the jig. So we uh we just came off actually having about seventy days off over, you know, the Christmas period and the into January and so this is our first tour and we've gone in a few months and uh, so it's really good to be back but really hard at the same time but away from the people we love again. Yeah, well what's the hardest part about being away? I think it's just disconnect. You know, you'll, you'll hear musicians say a lot of the time, oh, I miss my kids and I miss my wife. And, and sometimes that's true, but a lot of the time it's not really, that's not really the problem. The problem is the drift that happens. So you actually yeah. drift to that you have two separate lives from, you know, what you do on the road to your family, your wife and kids at home. And it's just the selfishness that creeps in and the self-centeredness that creeps in when you're on the road. And so I think for me, the drift is the thing that's hard. It's the feeling of, 
just losing intimacy with every day that you're gone. And no matter what you do to prevent that, um, and there are steps you can take to help with that, but for the most part, the drift always happens. Um, so there's always a re-acclimatization that takes place when you when you come home from the road. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's funny you say that because I had um, a, a buddy of mine who's actually a, a front of house guy reach out to me when he saw me post on Facebook that I was going to be addressing this. And he said, I would love someone to talk about post-tour depression because yeah. about four days after tour – when it all sets in that it's done, everything you've been working towards and preparing for is now over. Yeah. What What's that feeling like? I know I've experienced it, but I, I'd love to know yeah. uh, how that looks for you. Um. Well, usually there's relief that tour is over initially. You know, you get home and you're excited to see everyone, and and then the awkwardness sets in. You realize you're not sure what your position in the home is anymore right. and what your role is because they've learned to cope without you and learned to live without you. Um. And then eventually you fit into that. And if you're home long enough, and, and I haven't been home enough, home long enough in four years to experience what I just did. But for me, it wasn't depression as much as panic. You know, when an artist is sitting around for, for essentially three months off the road, uh, all of your insecurities and all of your anxieties and, and all of your feeling that you're not enough just, you know, comes upon you. And so, and yes, I... I I didn't experience it as depression. I experienced it as panic. Wow. This sense of not been not being able to control, you know, the destiny of what we do as a band, you know, um, which is so stupid anyway, because I have a whole team of people around me that do almost everything um, for us, bar, write music and perform and share and communicate, you know. But I, I guess most artists at the core are control freaks. Um, and I probably am too. And so the feeling of helplessness when you're actually off the road for me is really difficult to get my head around not being productive. So those are the things that lead me to panic and anxiety more than depression. Wow. Just frustration. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. And, and I think the thing is interesting is that people assume that when you're on tour, you've got, you know, people doing stuff for you all the time. <laughs> you know, someone can grab you a Starbucks or and there's people coming up to you and, and telling you every night um, how how great you are. Yeah. And I'm not saying that in a in a uh, yeah. puffy way to make your you know, but but it, but people are coming up and saying that they like your music. And I, I mean, I don't think you get a lot of people coming up and saying, actually, I hate your music. Um, but uh, it does happen. It does, I'm sure it does happen. I'm Not sure there's. Frequently. I'm sure there's one person that that is that you know per tour that does that. But but every, you would assume that that would be one of the most fulfilling places. But it probably is one of the most lonely places. Ex- explain some of that for me. Yeah, well, it can be really lonely and uh, being on the road in general. It depends what your purpose is, you know. We try as a band that when we're away from home, we're very deliberate about wanting to use all of the time to be about something that matters, you know, Mm. because if we're out here and we're just living, you know, that ridiculous, you know, um, soft rock star lifestyle, you know. Yeah, yeah. um, Keeping the image up, right? Yeah, I'm never loving people or engaging them or never having the hard conversations. It's just a waste of time, really, do you know, because... We we need to be the same people on stage as we are off stage. That's what we strive to do, and that's what we aim for. So we find honestly, we find a lot of purpose on the road uh, yeah. because we're called to it. We're very much called to do what we do. And I guess on those days where you are lonely or bored, um, honestly, 
I just always go back to the point that a few years ago we were in food stamps and we couldn't pay our bills. Wow. And so on a very basic human level, the Lord has, has given us a means to feed our families and take care of the people we love. Uh, you know, and way in excess of that. He's just been incredibly kind. So on those days, I remember his kindness. I remember why I do this. I do this because I I was an outsider. I was broken. I was dead. I was lost. Mm. And my people are outsiders. And so we are messengers. You know, we kind of live by that mantra that Jesus did. He said, well, I've come for the sick because the sick know they need a doctor. Right. And so we do we do this because we believe um, that people are fundamentally um, hurting, fundamentally broken, fundamentally out of relationship with Christ. And if we can just come alongside them uh, and just love on them mm-hmm. and be kind and let them share their stories with us, then they're, you know, they, they find a way to Jesus um, quite often through that. Yeah, and, you know, man, I, from the seven minutes we've been talking already, just just getting ready for this, I, I'm like, man, we need to sit sit down and do a full episode with We Are Messengers and <laughs> and not just not just a clip as part of a bigger uh the, I mean this this episode that you're being part of right now is with a bunch of other artists telling their stories as well. So um I we're gonna get we are gonna s- schedule a time for sure for us to go in depth into some of your journey. So yeah, and we know you have quite the testimony and quite the story to, to tell but you said something about that feeling of panic and anxiety and helplessness. Tell me about a recent time for you where those feelings became all too real. Well, you know, I've been surrounded by people that have had mental health issues, you know, for large parts of my life. Um, and, and being Irish, you tend to, uh, you tend to never really want to talk about how you really feel or admit how you really feel, you know. Is that a cultural thing? cultural thing you know yeah. men don't do that men are strong men keep their stuff together so that everyone around and it's important honestly and, and this is going to sound very countercultural in the current mental health thing but at times it is important for the for the head of the house to keep his act together you know yeah, of to, course to be strong because you know at, at times you can't always be in panic mode because you know I'm, I'm charged with also protecting my wife and my children and letting them feel secure and so for me, it's more important that they feel secure than I do. Now, that's not me saying just tough it up, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. That leads to people cutting and self-harming and over-medicating. I understand. Um, but for me as a man, I, I pretend to be strong way too often. Not even pretend. I just do it. I be strong so that the people around me can feel secure. And I guess, you know, I, I, really it's just that time I've been off. We took those 70 days off because we had been touring relentlessly for three years, you know, 200 shows a year. Mm. And we stopped because our families deserved it. And my family was hurting a lot. And we spent that time with them. And, and a lot of it's been beautiful, just learning how to play Legos again with my kids and, you know, just goofing around. Was there a pressure to, to just keep going? That, that felt like you were giving up on a dream or or letting people around you down? Uh, no, no, not from anybody around us because we've had a really successful few years, so they were all delighted for me to have a break. Yeah. But for me, there's this relentless pursuit of what tomorrow is. And so in that pursuit of tomorrow, it robs you of today. And you, you find it really difficult to be present when you're always dreaming, always planning. And in essence, you're not really living at all because you're you're living in a fantasy. Your fantasy is, fantasy is what's going to happen tomorrow. And 
what I find is Jesus, we cannot experience Jesus in the future. We just can't because we're not in the future. You only get right. to experience him here and now in the moment. So I think a lot of the panic came for me and having to realize that, Jeepers, I've been living my life for tomorrow yeah. for the last three years. What's next? What's next? What's next? And so I just had to face the fact that I had to be okay with sitting, you know, drinking a coffee and reading a book and or just sitting and watching some mundane TV show with my wife <laughs> or, you know, or playing in, on the trampoline with my kids. And those are all privileges, by the way. I don't take any of those lightly. They're all privileges to be able to do all of those things. But when you're as driven as most artists are, and honestly, a lot of artists give off this kind of vibe that they're really not driven or they're really not um, tormented right. by what's next. The truth is the vast majority of us are. Um, and that leads to all kinds of disappointments and, and the panic. It leads to this idea that I can't control tomorrow because I'm not doing anything for tomorrow. And that's where God comes in and he says, listen, he says, I am your yesterday, I am your today, and I am your tomorrow. Hmm. You know, And so I'm learning to rest. And there's a verse, Matthew 11, 28 to 30, that um, Eugene Peterson wrote the message version of the Bible. Oh, sorry, transcribed it. Yeah. And uh, it's really beautiful in that translation. It says, uh, Jesus is calling his disciples, and he says, come follow me and learn to walk in the unforced rhythms of my grace, and you will find rest for your weary soul. And so I've been trying to live by that for the past maybe 10 years since, I'm, since I met Christ. And uh, yeah, it's a hard thing to rest. But when you do, when you do um, follow him, when you follow him, really following him, there is rest. And I've experienced mm-hmm. that in the same season uh, once the panic subsided. Well, man, I, I wanted to ask you about this. And, and normally I'd phrase the question, is there, is there a song that speaks to you? about some of this this feeling but i know you're a humble guy and you probably won't give me the answer i want <laughs> and uh, you'll probably speak another song but i want to ask you about the song maybe it's okay and i want you to speak into that a little bit because uh yeah. there, there's a personal journey behind that song yeah it, it's the kind of song that artists spend their whole lives trying to find you know artists spend their whole lives trying to find the song that will actually change themselves, change their own lives, and change the lives of those around them. And honestly, I just stumbled upon it one day with a couple of friends and I, this idea that maybe it's okay if I'm not okay. And I, what I really wanted to do was, was give myself permission to admit that I'm falling apart when I'm falling apart and that I'm broken when I'm broken. Yeah, because it's only when we it's only when we do that and we allow God to come and meet us in that brokenness that we have any hope of being well. Um, so when the chorus says, "Maybe it's okay if I'm not okay," because the one who holds the world is holding on to me, what I'm really doing is just I'm just surrendering. I'm just saying, "Listen, God, I get it. I'm a mess, but that's okay because you hold me in that." You look at the scriptures. Jesus is hanging out with prostitutes and beggars and thieves and the outcasts, lepers, the marginalized. That's who he's with. And when I think of my mental health journey, all our mental health journeys, do you know what? I think about the prostitute and the beggar and, and these, these kind of types that you could associate with mental health. I'm all of those things. Right. And Jesus is not embarrassed of me. He's not embarrassed when I say I'm struggling here. He's not embarrassed when I doubt or when I'm afraid. He's not ashamed of me. Hmm. It's the opposite. He comes and draws near to us in those moments. And he also reveals something beautiful. In the verses of that song, I talk about if I didn't know what it hurt like to be broken, 
I never know what it felt like to be whole. Wow. You know, a lot of the time we look at our past and we just dismiss it. We dismiss our past and we say it was meaningless before Jesus, even with Jesus. But what I, what I find is that all of it was a gift. All of the heartache, all of the shame, all of the disappointment, all of the mistakes, even those things were gifts in the light of the grace of Jesus Christ because he's taken them to shine a light on how wonderful he is and his freedom is. And so we started a website called uh, maybeitsokay.com just around the song. And literally we have thousands of messages flooding in from all over the world. Um, People that are cutting, people that are struggling with abortion, people that struggling with their sexuality, um, Mm. people that have OCD and anxiety and suicidal ideation. And the list is endless, and they're coming in and they're flooding in. And do you know what we're trying to do with them? Nothing. Hmm. Just give them a voice. Give them a voice. They tell their story in an anonymous way, and we pray over them, you know, as many as we can get to. Um, but we're not trying to fix these people. We're just trying to give them a place to go and actually say it. Because the stigma in our culture and in our churches around mental health is that you're failing in your walk with Christ. Yeah. I don't see it as that. I see mental health as purely a result of a broken world, the result of the fall. Everything's became, everything's right. being undone um, until Christ restores. And that restoration is available here. Like it's available in our lives, like today. Yeah. But it's not necessarily going to happen instantaneously. It's a big old process of, of learning how to walk with him and find that rest. So I just, just want people to take it easy on themselves. Yeah, and I just I think that's so so real to say that that we can experience the presence of God drawing close to us, and maybe our situation, our struggle, and our burden does not immediately change. But the difference is is that we don't walk it alone. We walk it with someone who's stronger than us. Absolutely, because we can walk we can walk with friends who may may feel stronger than us. Yeah, but nobody is strong. Nobody is as strong as the man who who beat death, you know? <laughs> yeah, if he can overcome the grave, he can overcome my panic. You know, if he, uh, if he loves us the way he says he loves us, then all things are going to be made well, eventually, sooner or later. But the thing is, he's also given us to each other as a gift. Right. And see, until, until we realize that we don't have to fix the people in our lives, we just have to love them as Christ loved them. We're going to continually push people away because people are going to get embarrassed but they're not getting well fast enough. Mm-hmm. So when you give people time, like my wife has struggled with a particular mental health issue. Um, it's OCD related first. As long as I've known her, 19 years, and we've prayed and pleaded with the Lord. And still she struggles with it. And uh, she loves him and he loves her. Yeah. But you know, I've, lear- I've learned to try not to fix her and just stay with her and go, I hear you. I understand. I, I know what you're feeling. As, be- as best as I can. And so patience, take it easy on each other. Be honest, hold hands, sing, laugh, cry, do the whole lot, scream when you need to, admit your doubts, confess to one another, and just trust God that it's okay to be you, because it is. He made you the way you are. And most importantly, what you have set the model for, most importantly, I'd say just listen and be an ear mm-hmm. to listen. And um, we don't need to have all the answers. Not pastors, not friends, not spiritual people, not 
unspiritual, not religious people, not unreligious people. We're not meant to have all the answers. No. And um, I just appreciate that you have created a, an avenue for that. And uh, hey, man, if it's all right with you, I'd, I'd love to just play us out of this particular conversation as we get ready to, to bring in another artist. Uh, could we play that song, Maybe It's Okay? Yeah, I'd love that. Yeah. All right, well, this is, uh, this is Darren from We Are Messengers. Thanks so much for joining us. This is Maybe it's okay here on the Overflow Beyond the Music podcast. One of the people that's really become a voice recently in the area of mental health, especially in the area of anxiety and panic attacks, is Brian Johnson of Bethel Music. His parents, uh, Bill and Benny, are the senior pastors of Bethel Church in Reading. And Brian is uh, an accomplished songwriter, an incredibly anointed and talented worship leader, and provides leadership to that area at Bethel Music. And Brian has a brand new book called When God Becomes Real. And in it, Brian, you talk a lot about your journey and a lot about this struggle and some of the things you've been going through over the last year or so. And one of the things I really appreciate about the book is that you're so vulnerable and so honest and you go into so many details about your journey and the day that everything crashed for you. And Brian, you're here on the Overflow Beyond the Music podcast. And so why don't you tell me about the day that God became real? Well, I think uh, the the idea of God becoming real was a process. Um, obviously, you know, we know God's real. and he's, I mean, I've been a Christian my whole life, leading worship, things are great. But there's another level of, like, His realness, you know, if you want to call it, when you're, when you're left with no other options, you know? Yeah, totally. And God, like, has to come through. You know, you read the Old Testament, and you, you see these, like, battle scenes, and it's like, God, if you don't come through, we're all dead. That's another. That's kind of another level, you know, of life. And um, I think that day was one of those moments. Like I, I had a. It was. It was actually ended up being a nervous breakdown that lasted like six months. Yeah. But it was the beginning. I had a major panic attack. You know, couldn't breathe. Wow. My mind wasn't working right. Everything was weird, fuzzy, of numb. My arms were. It was just crazy, crazy, uh, pandemonium. You know the whole thing. So the hot ambulance comes, and, and when the ambulance got there, I just had this moment of like, I, maybe like a moment of clarity, and I walked over to my kids, because they were watching this whole thing, and I just said, this is when God becomes real, because I didn't want to remove them from the, the pain and what was going on, and the reality of what was happening that was kind of unexplainable, but I wanted them to make get their own history in God, because I knew that like, inside I knew that it wasn't the end, you know, I knew God was going to come through, and I knew that if they saw the, how dark and painful this was, and then they saw God come through, that it would be one of those things in their life where they would go, yeah, you know, God is good, God's faithful. Yeah, I would say it was one of the most moments of divine clarity I think I've ever had. I tried to explain it in the book, you know? Yeah, and it's often probably not very easily explained because it's something that is so deeply personal. Yeah, and I think a panic attack, you know, everyone, a lot of people have panic attacks, and there's there's words we can use that kind of describe the feelings, you know, and the emotions, but each person is, is a different thing, you know? Yeah, I mean, was there any any history or any previous experiences you had had that, that felt similar that maybe would have given you a little bit of clarity or context for what you're experiencing in that moment? Oh, yeah, I, I had 
when I was seven, I had my first panic attack. And then I had, I had that very similar thing happen all the way until I was 21. Really? So I was really familiar with what that was. But this was different. You know, this is a different, this is a more physical. Um, it was a mix, it was a mix of, I think a mix of physical, mental, and spiritual. I think it was like a mix of all of them. It started out as a physical feeling, just felt really numb and fuzzy. And like the world was kind of closing in on me, you know, my vision just kind of weird. And then it, then it turned, of course, into mental spiral, you know, like freak out. And then the spiritual element was, uh, you know, you're trying to figure it all out at the same time. What's what's going on? Because I knew I'd had this this these things before, but this was actually different than before. For some, it's hard to explain why I just was. Yeah. Well, after that day and after that incident, um, what did the process look like for you? as you began to sort of un- unpack and uh, unravel a little bit of what was going on? And, and how did that journey towards getting some help or having some conversations with people as you were progressing towards understanding not only what was happening, but also how to get better and recover from it? What did that process look like for you? Well, I mean, that's a, that was a six-month process. I, I, I finally got so desperate, you know, because I just just was so like kind of a mess right just so desperate mental just in my mind just the terror it, it was just kind of unbearable and i wasn't getting a grip um yeah i wasn't ready at first i didn't know you know it was just ignorance and then i went to the doctors and the doctors actually told me that here's what's going on with you which actually was kind of reassuring but the problem was that it was it it mean it meant that it was real. It was like a mental thing, you know, like a like a. I, there was so much going on in my life, I couldn't handle it. Does that make sense? I just literally couldn't handle it. I just I just kind of I crashed. It took a while, you know. Uh, the doctors helped me, gave me some meds to get to help me for a season that was really helpful. Mm-hmm. Pro- worship music, I played twenty four seven around the house. And then the thing that got me out of it, though, was I had this, this like, a revelation about getting in the Word of God. Mm-hmm. By that time, a one week into really diving into the Word and just literally reading it hours and hours, because by that time I'd quit everything six months in, it's like this, this clarity came and God really started speaking to me. It's like a miracle. And um, through that, I was able to get through this. Just the reading of the word, like renewing of my mind, it was it became such a real thing. The, the, with the word of God, finally got my head above the water in a sense. I felt like I was always under. Yeah. And then this this got me above it, even though I was feeling certain things. Like I just felt like I had I was one up on it, you know, kind of like I had things were getting better. Yeah, and I'm really curious what what really works for you, and because when people are going through stuff like this, different things work for different people, and. I had the opportunity to read your book uh, or read a portion of it before its release. And I don't know what it was, but when I got the PDF, I opened it up and I thought, "Is oh, is this the whole book or is this maybe just a portion? And I started scrolling through and I stopped on page 21 just randomly and just, and just started reading for a minute. And this is what I read. You say, I remembered the days of my childhood panic and the lessons my dad taught me about breaking these cycles of fear when any attack comes he said fight it by saying the name of jesus the blood of jesus and the promises of scripture and by worshiping god it was the worship that always worked for me so i scrolled through my phone chose a specific playlist worship songs i had history with i turned up the volume and the music filled the space the music flooded over me and i concentrated on 
the truths in the songs, and I did everything that I knew to do, and still there was no relief. My question is, how do you reconcile a moment like that when the weapon that you've been taught to use your whole life uh, from your, your family and from your church, and, and also a weapon that you've built and forged for many other people to use in the battle. So what, what do you do when the weapon that you've been taught to use and the weapon that you've built for other people is suddenly not working for the battle that you're currently facing? How, how does your mind reconcile that? It's a great question, and that, that's a scary moment because even before as a kid, you know, sometimes I'd be all night going, you know, singing, and, and it'd finally break, but this was getting worse and worse, and it felt like nothing was happening. And I think part of that physical, part of what was going on was an actual physical breakdown. I hit a wall. I crashed mentally. I, like, couldn't handle it. It wasn't just a spiritual thing that was happening. Not to say that worship can't can't fix physical things. It could, You know, it's like when God shows up, shoot, I mean, everything's... The word impossible doesn't exist when God shows up, you know. So, but it was very, that, that let alone, that not, we call it not working, even though maybe it was, I don't know, I wasn't feeling it was working, sent me into even a worse panic, right? Mm -hmm. But I knew, but, but see, I think God wanted to teach me. So I don't think God willed this. I'll just, let's make that clear. I don't think God made this happen to me for some crazy reason. I don't believe that at all. I probably brought it on myself for life did. You know, we live in a crazy world, you know, stress. And, um, but I, I do think that God te wanted to teach me something and, and taught me about the power of the word and those times with him that are so important for literally staying alive. Yeah. You know, we live in a crazy world. Like our time with God is everything. Getting the word from word from God is everything. And so in a sense, like I learned that in this season more than I learned about worship when I was a kid, you know? Yeah, and to kind of go along with that line of thinking, one of the things I've always really appreciated about the culture of Bethel and your church and the books that are released through there is that you guys are a church that believes in body, mind, and spirit, and that it's uh, all those things working together. And, and I'm really curious to get your thoughts on this, because one of the things I've noticed, and I don't want to throw blanket statements out there, but one of the things I have witnessed and observed is that Traditionally, the church has not done a great job addressing some of these issues around mental health and, and maybe not given them the time uh, or sensitivity that they're needed. So my, my question for you is, what do you think the church can do better uh, as we are trying to journey with people who are dealing with some of these things in their life? It's a great, I think that's a great question because, you know, a lot, of, a lot of leaders, you know, they're expected to know the answers, so they make up answers on the spot, you know? Um, I think that there, there's, there's a lot of mystery in it that we need to kind of be okay with. Um, I think that like it, not removing the shame from it, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, like, I think there's something about like hearing someone's story coming down to their level, removing the shame from it. You're not alone. Yeah. There's community, there's safe people that can talk to you. Um, and then I think, you know, if like you, if you break your arm, you're going to go to the doctor and they're going to put a cast on it so that it heals correctly. And I think that we need, we need to approach um, things of the mind the same way, you know? There's, there's, I think that we need to not be scared of doctors, yeah. but at the same time, not put all our chips on that table, you know? Like, not put all of our faith in that, because, you know, God is the only person, we, we, and we know this, that we rely 100% on. But I think that there's, there was a time that I needed a doctor, 
yeah. to assess what was going on and say, Brian, this is what's going on with you right now. Right. And it was actually a Christian doctor. She said, here's what's going on with you. And because of this, I'm going to help you and give me some things to do and whatnot. There were things that I needed to change about my life, the way I was doing life, um, that was like, it, it literally was like, if you don't change this, 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 and this, you're not going to get better. Wow. You know, the busy, the craziness, the way I handled problems, you know, stuffing down every emotion to, to, to man up, to get over it, you know, that whole thing. Even though I'm, I'm, I'm like a guy, I love a man's man kind of yeah. thing, you know, get over <laughs> it kind of thing. But right. there's a problem in that culture is that there, there are things that are painful and we need to call it for what it is, deal with it and then move on, but not stuff it and ignore it and act like it's not happening. And I think I did that trying to think that it was being a man and getting over it, but it ended up like a, like a balloon popping eventually, you know? And, um, so there was some, there were some practical things that I needed to fix. And honestly, still to this day, like I'm reminded, oh, that's right. That thing right there is coming back up because of this, you know? Right. But I think that there's a grace that needs to be put on it. There's a lot of people that have anxiety. We live in a crazy world, social media, the, the political climate, the, all the pandemonium about everything is crazy. And, it, and there's a, it feels like there's an insanity, you know, all over the place. And I think that there's a spirit, you know, I think we're actually in like a battle, you know? And I think that when we tell people, hey, you're not alone, I think that's one of the biggest things that we can do as a church. Instead of handing out, here's what you need to do to get better at first. You're not alone. There's no shame in this. And then working with people on an individual basis, because there's some stuff that people go through that's crazy, right? So um, the doctor was amazing to me. My community that was around me was amazing, um, praying for me, you know. Uh, Yeah, and it it sounds like there was a couple different things that worked for you as a combination for you to to come through the season. And uh, even in my own journey, I went through a breakdown uh, and a burnout back in about 2013. I ended up leaving ministry for a year uh, to get healthy. And for me, it was a combination of, of medication and counseling and changing some, some things in my life spiritually and practically. I'm curious, what was the combination like for you? It seems to be different for everybody and look a little bit different for everybody, but how did all those things or even some of those things work together in your journey as you sought to get healthier? Well, just, you know, first off, I needed medication for a season. Mm-hmm. And then I realized um, I didn't want this to be forever and needed to get off. You know, and I think that I knew I needed the doctor prescribed something, and it was just for a season. And then when I realized, you know, this wasn't going to be my forever, then I, then I, then I, when I felt stable and through their guidance, got off that. Um, I think that the, the so there was that in the very beginning. You know, when you're when you're in the hospital, like you, you need a sedative, right? Yeah. <laughs> just because I was having a major panic attack. But um, I think that um, I needed to get my head above the water so that I could start to get better. You know, because there was a physical part of this. You know, my mind was just really, it was just, you know, really fuzzy. You know, like I just couldn't handle stuff anymore. And just, it was really wild. It was a really surreal, wild thing. It was hard to describe, you know. I never realized it could be, your mind could crash, you know. Yeah, and I've heard it described before, and I think it's maybe my counselor who, who described it this way, that ministry is like this highway that you're on and you're driving this really fast car, you know, 150 miles an hour, so, so fast, and you're looking around for an exit and you can't find an exit. And so what ends up happening is you just keep going and going until you crash 
or run out of gas. And to me, that analogy feels so accurate and real. And did it feel that way to you? Oh, I can't even. I mean, I tried to in the first chapter describe the moment. It's it's hard to. I mean, I would say yes to both those answers. I think I found out found out later is that my body protecting me, and I'd eventually start producing these chemicals. And I and I eventually like literally leaned into the panic, which is the scariest thing ever. You know, recognizing that that. What there's actually a physical thing that's going on, but at the same time, like I, w- I will say this, so like, what got me out of this season was was like the worship. Right, I had worship twenty four seven going yeah. through the night. Mm-hmm. Um, I I and then I got this had this whole thing with God where I just was at my end, man. I was just like, I just don't know what to do. It's cr- it crazy, and I just had this thing about I need to get up and start reading the Word, like crazy, mm-hmm. like giving time to it. I quit everything at that point. Started reading the Word. Not like I'd read before, but reading the Word. Like, let's say I was on a deserted island for the rest of my life, and it was just me and God. Like, how would you read, approach the Bible? It, it would be 100% relational-based to God, not in a competition to culture or someone else or get my degree or blah, blah, blah. It wasn't any of that stuff. It was just literally, literally relational-based. So everything I read was really slow. Everything slowed way down, and it became the primary focus of my life. Reading the Word was the primary focus of my life. Yeah, and I'm not kidding you, and I'm not exaggerating by saying this. Within one week to ten days of doing that, it's like I felt my head above the water for the first time in like six to eight months. Wow! It was a crazy thing where it was almost it was like I was starting to feel like I had, uh, even though it was crazy, like panic was right there always, but it just felt like I had like authority or more. I had it, it was I was going in the right direction. We'll say that. Yeah, and um. It was the first time I had hope, like, oh, this is, I'm on to something here, you know? Yeah, and it's truly amazing when that breakthrough begins happening. And one thing I do know is that you and Bethel Music and your wife and people from your church have written some really powerful songs that have helped people experience breakthrough on their own. And I'm curious, was there a particular song in this season that really, really spoke to you? Um, it's funny. Uh, it is, Yeah. It's funny. I had been working on a song with a friend. It's Jason Ingram. He's an amazing writer, and we and he made this little demo on the, on the piano. And um, so I had this little demo of him singing this song on the piano, and I I listened to that song, oh, eight hours a day, twenty four seven. Um, it it like had this authority that brought me peace. It was indescribable, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it, it spoke to what was going on somehow. And I I played that song. I mean, over and over and over during that season. Right. And, you know, people hadn't even heard the song yet. You know, it's one of those. Well, I had the, I mean, I had a similar experience myself. There was a particular song that had really spoken to me, and it was the same thing, just piano and vocal and maybe a little acoustic guitar. And just the lyrics of it just just brought me to a place of, of, I guess, real brokenness that I'd just given up. And I said, Lord, you know, you're really going to have to do your thing here. And, it's amazing uh, when God kind of strips away all of that stuff, and it just becomes these words that get sung over you that that really minister, huh? Well, it's funny because like you, you, it's you know I think when you're desperate, you know all the peripherals, all the all the production, all the whatever stuff that that like gets our attention because we want to what it doesn't even matter. It is just like it, it does it work or does it not work? And I think in that moment, it's like, I'm going to do what works, <laughs> regardless if it's cool or whatever, or the best. or You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's interesting. And for whatever reason, it worked. 
So Yeah, well, there's something special about the right truth at the right time, you know? Yeah. That will just be so powerful in that moment for us. And Brian, just as we close here, um, I'm well aware and so grateful for the anointing that is on on your family, on your parents, on your wife, and on your kids. And, and I just think it'd be really powerful if we could close this time together with you just praying over us and releasing something special over the space for us who who are listening and maybe encouraged or maybe dealing with some of this stuff ourselves and not really sure what to do next. Would you pray for us, Brian? Yeah, so Lord, I pray uh, today for a hope. You know, that, that thing when, you, when you, your presence shows up, that word impossible doesn't even exist. And uh, anything without hope is under the influence of a lie. And that, that, that overarching blanket of, of depression, anxiety, hopelessness, that you would get to the root of that for these listeners that are really going through it, that are in it, that they're in things that feel impossible, that, that there's just like that light at the end of the tunnel, that you would be that light and you'd, like you did with me, that you'd show them the way on a personal level and you'd make it personal, that it, there'd be things that you'd highlight in their lives that they need to start doing or change or fix or whatever. And Holy Spirit, I, I, I pray that you'd be that voice and, and just come in your power, Lord. Your word is full of promise and, and the future and all these things, and it's ho- so hard for us to grasp sometimes. But I pray that that um, specifically for pe- for people that are going through the anxiety and they're in the burnout and the depression, all those things. And you know, I I come against the 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 power of the enemy and all that. I come against that power in the name of Jesus, and we just declare your perfect peace to those individuals listening to this that passes all understanding. Like it doesn't even make sense, but there's just a peace that comes that it's not connected to really anything but you. And you bring amazing, massive breakthrough, even to these people that have been going through this their whole lives. Um, and I do pray for people that are on, on meds that you would have a way out, that you'd bring a way out for them, Lord. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Amen. That's all we got for this episode. This is part two of our series on mental health. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Make sure to give us a follow on Instagram at the Overflow BTM. Again, that's at the Overflow BTM. Can't wait to see you again. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Overflow Beyond the Music podcast. My name's Josh McCabe. We'll see you again soon. <laughs>